Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. I am Billy Embody, and if you can't tell, it has been a tough day for the entire SMU community with uh, the passing of Paul Lane, SMU alum, super fan, cheerleader, former Daily Campus reporter, and um, uh, just an incredible, incredible man in the SMU and Dallas community um, passed away on Monday at the age of 68 after um, a blood clot uh, in his intestines was discovered about a month ago, and he's been hospitalized for the entirety of that, and um, SMU lost uh I mean, as as good as as good of a supporter as it gets, and obviously, incredibly uh, faithful, supportive, passionate, um, and just uh, like I said, just an incredible guy. Um, you know, uh, when I moved back to Dallas uh, about two over two years ago, um, Paul was the uh, listing agent on the on the condo that uh, we ended up ended up buying and um yeah my real estate agent was a is a fellow SMU alum and um you know Paul really helped us you secure this this place and and you know said to his client he said hey this is this is an SMU guy this is um you know somebody that you'd be you proud selling this place that, that you're, you know, moving on from. And, um, you know, the guy, uh, who, who sold us the place, you know, trusted Paul. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, just says a lot, you know, about him and just in general, you know, I hadn't met, met Paul personally, um, at that point. And, um, you know, obviously knew a lot about him, uh, just from his fandom, from his, from everything, uh, his friends, uh, and family or, or his, his friends and people close to him, um, you know, said about him. And, and so that was my first experience with Paul and, you know, didn't, didn't get enough of them, obviously, but, um, you know, did catch up with him last season at, at an SME basketball game and, and just, you know, just the passion uh, is just, was just so apparent when you, when you spoke with him, just, you know, talking about, you know, the new era with Rhett Lashley or, you know, what's going to happen with SME basketball at that point or, you know, players and just swapping stories. And, um, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, that's just, you know, indicative of, of who he, who he was, you know, just very, very passionate about SMU. Um, you know, just a, a good kind soul, um, that will be missed around, around SMU and, and, and wherever he, you know, chose to, chose to be, um, in the fall that was at SMU football games. Uh, obviously uh, he wasn't, wasn't able to be there in person for the first two this year, but, um, he's undoubtedly going to be there in spirit moving forward, uh, just like he was the first two games, 542 games, a streak that'll never, be broken, I would guess. Um, so, um, just an, an incredible supporter of SMU, uh, SMU football, 
um, and just a, a genuine, genuinely good person um, that uh, was lost just, you know, too, too quickly. Um, still just, just had so much, so much to give and, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, we won't have him with us uh, in, in person and in, you know, uh, alive um, moving forward, but um, he won't be forgotten. Uh, I, I know that the football team has, of course, worn the PL uh, stickers on their helmets and um, a lot of support around the community with uh, the pins, uh, with the cheerleading uh, megaphone um, and uh, the college game day shout out and all of those things. It's just been very, you know, apparent just how, how much um, he met to the community um, now, you know, with his passing, um, the support that he got during his, his, his battles fight. Um, but, um, you know, obviously a tough week, um, you know, just right off the bat, um, with, with, to learn of his passing and, and so suddenly as well. So, um, I wanted to lead off with, with that. I, I kind of debated, I've never, I don't think I've ever done one of these things uh, before, but, um, I, I, I think, you know, Paul, uh, put, put SMU, um, quite frankly, um, number one, you know, a lot of the time. So I, I felt like he deserved to be the number one thing that uh, uh, I discussed and led off with on this edition of the podcast um, from the SMU football account. SMU lost one of its biggest fans today as SMU alum, former cheerleader and super fan Paul Lane died fro- following a brief illness. Paul's loyalty, support and commitment to SMU and our program will never be forgotten. And that's true. Um, so if you're, uh, you know, debating going to a game, uh, I would say go for it. Um, cause you never know when it could be your last, of course. Um, so, you know, with that, going to try to carry on this podcast, uh, and, 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 you know, get back to what Paul, uh, would have wanted to hear about if he was listening, which is SMU football. And there is certainly, um, a lot to talk about, but first just wanted to take a brief moment in memory of Paul, uh, Paul Lane, passing away at 68 on Monday. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the On the Pony Express podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, a game that Paul uh, would have loved to have been there for. Um, and one that, you know, without a doubt is uh, the one circle on everyone's calendar every year, SMU-TCU, uh, was, uh, the game time was announced on Monday. It'll be at 11 a.m. on Saturday, September 24th, inside Ford Stadium with ESPN2 or ESPNU carrying the game. Uh, that will be determined after this weekend slate, so um, if SMU... Um, you know, grabs that win against Maryland. We will see if that bumps it up to ESPN two. My guess is that it would. Uh, that would be certainly a um, you know put put this game squarely on the map as far as you know a must watch situation. Um, you know, for ju- for plenty of college football fans. I mean, the storylines are obviously endless uh, on this game, and um, uh, but uh, of course the early kickoff. You know. Is definitely a downer, uh, but I will say this, you know, I think there are a couple moments, 
in SMU's run with Sonny Dykes where the 11 a.m. kickoff hurt the Mustangs uh, coming out of the gate. So, look, I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, 11 a.m. just kind of sucks. I mean, from a fan perspective, if you were planning to fly in and wanted to Boulevard, if you were planning on driving up from a Houston or over from an Austin or wherever, um, you've got to adjust your plans and get going. Uh, Margus Hunt, actually, I got a chance to catch up with him um, on the field as the game was ending Saturday night, uh, former teammate of mine, and they were trying to plan how to uh, make it over um, or make it up for that one um, and and rearrange some birthday plans for for one of their uh, kids. So um, I, I do think, though, if you look at, you know, StubHub, if you look at the SMU site and trying to buy tickets, it's getting close to a sellout, though. Uh, I don't think this is going to hurt the overall um, game. I, I, I don't. I just I think people are going to be amped for plenty of reasons um, to uh, say hello to Sonny Dykes and his TCU Horned Frogs uh, right on the dot at 11 a.m. I think if you're listening to this, I encourage you, and this is you know something that a lot of big programs um, – I've been to LSU, Alabama on both sides in Baton Rouge and Tuscaloosa. They say and make announcements, get to the stadium early. And this is one that I would say you need to get to the stadium early. Um, Whether you go in at the west side, and that's always where you go in, but your seats are somewhere else, I'd walk around, try to find a shorter line, do things like that. Um, But I would get in there early. And and besides, I mean, win or lose, you know, you've got the whole afternoon to – to booze, so to speak, if that's uh, what you choose to do uh, with your Saturday. So uh, we will cover that game far more in-depth, uh, obviously, next week, regardless of what happens with SMU Maryland. And we'll preview SMU Maryland later this week. But I want to take a little stock now as we are two games into the SMU season and kind of share some thoughts on the team, where they stand, and uh, what needs to happen you know, for this team to beat Maryland and TCU, just kind of lump them both together. Um, you know, I think you look at what they did against North Texas coming out, firing, coming out with, uh, you know, a really impressive performance for the most part, uh, 48 to 10 against the veteran staff, against a team that always gets up to play SMU. Um, it, it pretty much broke, uh, UNT Twitter, that's for sure. Um, and, and look, I mean, the, the separation between the two programs, you know, couldn't be, you know, any more clear now. Um, after you know, Rhett Lashley became the first coach since Bobby Collins to win his debut as SMU's coach. Um, it was pretty convincing. You know, there were definitely some areas that they didn't play their best at um, and, and perform at the highest level. You know, I think you circle offensive line. Uh, they did a decent job, um, you know, allowing Tanner Mordecai time to throw for a career-high 423 yards, I believe it was, um, as well as, you know, having the first 200-yard receivers um, or first game with 200-yard receivers for SMU since 2019. The running game, uh, kind of up and down, a little bit more of a ground and pound, uh, didn't have much of an explosive, you know, big play type of performance there. Um, and, and kind of the same story in a way until later in the Lamar game as well. So let's look at Tanner Mordecai. I mean, one, I, I think for the most part, he's played pretty well. You know, Saturday's performance against Lamar was not what he would want to write home about. You know, it'd be interesting to see what Casey Woods and Rhett Lashley say this week. Um, you know, Rhett Lashley took blame for that interception. And look, I, I think it wasn't the best decision by any means, but you know, if you're going to throw the ball down the field, I mean, you throw it to Rasheed Rice down the field and, and far down the field. So, um, 
you know, Rhett kind of took the blame in a way on, on calling that play with that protection. And, and, you know, he hadn't watched the film yet, but that was what he said. He said, I kind of left him out there on an island, really. Um, and, and that was what led to the interception. But, you know, he was not as sharp as he was against UNT. Uh, they didn't have as many explosive plays. Um, and, and they had some miscues, you know, Rasheed Rice's fumble. Uh, Preston Stone came in and, and threw a pick. Um, so if you're evaluating the team for Maryland and TCU, you know, you can kind of scratch the Preston Stone pick off. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's not your starting quarterback. But, you know, Tanner Mordecai threw into double coverage on that one uh, with pressure in his face. Um, you had Rasheed Rice with just kind of a careless ball security situation and then bounced back and, and you know, caught a touchdown, I think, on the next drive. So I think looking at it offensively, you've got a lot of the pieces in place to have a really successful offense once again. You know, against Lamar, they held out Kamar Wheaton and Trey Siggers. We'll be out practice Tuesday morning uh, for those on the Pony Express subscribers. Check out our premium notes on how the team looks, you know, injury-wise, as well as uh, subscribe for your chance to get a free Founders Club hat. We are selling those until they run out. So get yours by subscribing um, to OnThePonyExpress.com. Look, I, I think the biggest issue right now is probably the offensive line, and in terms of what that impacts, the run game. They didn't have Kamar Wheaton and Trey Siggers against Lamar, um, but, you know, they just didn't look – they're not up to where they need to be. And we've seen, you know, some moving around. We've seen Jalen Thomas at left guard be replaced by Joe Bissinger. We saw Ben Sparks uh, step in for Justin Osborne, who got nicked up in that game at one point. I think it's an offensive line that is certainly a work in progress. I think, and this is just my gut, they're probably going to start to evaluate that off that right tackle spot a little bit more because Owen Condon in pass protection so far has has been not where you know you you need to be. Um, you know, kind of let let some guys get some free hits on Tanner. Um, got beat on some things. Doesn't look you know relatively quick laterally. Um, so they've got to address that position and find a way to make it better. I don't know if that means kicking Justin Osborne out the right tackle, um, putting Joe Bissinger at right guard or Ben Sparks at right guard or Jalen Thomas at right guard and putting you know Joe Bissinger at left guard, how you address that position. But right now that looks like uh, kind of the weak point on the offensive line. I do think Lamar on Saturday was coming with a little bit more of a heavy blitz package from what I saw. I know they got SMU with some stunts, so they have got to clean that up. Um, I, I, I think the, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Mordecai interception was definitely a stunt, um, uh, that they ran and just got a free rush. So they were doing a lot of elaborate things on defense. Uh, you've got to pick those up. I think one thing that kind of hurts SMU is they're, I think they're for the most part going, you know, four pass catchers out in, in routes for the most part, you know, they're not a team right now that has a blocking tight end that they can consistently rely on in terms of pass protection, they could start to use guys like Ben Redding or RJ Maryland or um, whoever as a more of a chip guy, uh, Gage Haskin as, as well to kind of slow down some of this pass rush they're going to face. But the offensive line is definitely a, a group that has to step up, has to be better. We, we talked about this last year. It's kind of funny, you know, for, as successful as SMU was, you know, going on the road last year, beating a lot of tech, you know, Hail Mary, all that, um, beating UNT, doing all those things, the offensive line changed around, you know, they completely changed their their starting five up uh, in terms of where they were positioned last year. And then they went out and I think ran for what, over 300 yards against TCU. So there are fixes that they could do. 
And there are games that they're probably capable of playing at a high level. Consistently, consistency is the key. And the offensive line hasn't done that so far. Uh, they've got to get. They've got to be better. I think the bright spot for me watching so far, you know, and the run game hasn't been consistently that great. But you know, you did finish with T.J. McDaniel over seven yards of carry, and and uh, Velton Gardner made his SMU debut and average debut and averaged nine yards of carry or so. But they've got depth at that running back position. You know, Kamar Wheaton showed some flashes against UNT. He was held out with a tweaked ankle, um, but. Rhett Lashley didn't seem too concerned. Uh, they have Trey Siggers, who was held out. You know, he kind of made the call right before the game. He didn't feel good enough with that groin, so held him out. Those are all consistent. Well, I wouldn't say consistent yet because basically both, all four of them have you know pretty much played one game outside of TJ really playing um, you know a, a good bit in both. But you haven't necessarily seen the overall package yet as far as where that group seems to be trending because. Three of the four, you know, basically played in one game. So now you've got Velton Gardner in there. I thought he did some tremendous things. He showed what he showed in practice, which is that he is, you know, on the shorter side, but a, a shifty, you know, kind of hard to pen in running back who runs hard. Um, and TJ has really hit the holes hard. We saw his big, long touchdown run. That was good to see, you know, definitely, um, you know, a positive for him to, to get back out there and, you'll continue to build off of what he did against UNT. It's going to be interesting to see how these guys translate into the, you know, Maryland's and the TCU's and into the teeth of the AAC schedule. But those are some bright spots in the run game. I think there are some pass protection things that need to be cleaned up a little bit. I think I saw one of them go inside on a pass protection that they probably should have chipped outside um, and picked up. But, you know, that group, they've got options. They've got depth. SMU's wide receiving core really talented, Rasheed Rice, Jordan Curley, um, you know, Moochie Dixon, Roger Daniels. When they get Jake Bailey back, and it seems like that'll be a week-to-week thing, and if they do indeed get Bo Corrales back, which, again, kind of seems to week-to-week, those will be boosts to the receiving core. That'll really help Tanner Mordecai. Um, you know, I think offensively, everybody, for the most part, seems to know what S- where SMU's at. They have an offensive line that has not played their best. They've got to step up. Uh, I think there was four uh, credited quarterback hurries to the Lamar defense, but it sure seemed like a little bit more. The run game kind of took took some lumps. I think, too, part of this, and Rhett Lashley, you know, one of the plays that they opened up with was an ode to the Pony Express, but that first drive was pretty much kind of a wonky. They got an eye formation. They got um, they, they ran some jet sweep stuff, and then they kind of took a shot to Rasheed, and it was three and out, and it was boom, it was over. So, I think that drive kind of like maybe got them into a little bit of a funk uh, and they didn't play as clean as maybe they would have normally, you know, and that was just, they had the Pony Express there and Rhett Lasher wanted to, you know, call some things to kind of honor them. So I think if you get them out onto the right track early, and I think if you look back at some of the big games SMU's played in with Rhett calling plays, they've done a pretty good job of doing that. And I think he, quite honestly, I don't know if he's been vanilla. I think I saw a million different formations as far as what they're putting out there, you know, for these defenses to defend. I think that stood out to me. I wouldn't say their actual plays were vanilla either. I think they were just kind of middle of the road. But I'll say this as we flip over the defensive side of the ball. I I, I think, and this is just me, I think Scott Simons has been pretty vanilla, and I think it's been on purpose. Um, And I talked to a couple people around the program, that's kind of the, the feeling I've got. 
last week, or well, two weeks ago now, against North Texas, he said he really didn't blitz. They dropped. They said, you know what, if this quarterback is going to beat us, he's going to have to do it through some tough passing lanes. And sure enough, he had a rough day throwing the football around. So you go to Lamar and, and you start game planning for that team. I think the big thing that stood out to me is they had so many opportunities to get Chandler, the quarterback, down, um, you know, make plays at the line of scrimmage, and they just didn't. But then you look at the secondary, and I think this is one where it was a little bit of a concern. And, and again, not, not in the meeting rooms, haven't talked to Scott Simons. You know, we'll, we'll talk to him Tuesday after practice, but the, the Lamar receivers had so much cushion. And again, I don't know if – Look, they had too much cushion, period, end of story. Whatever you're playing, just – it wasn't aggressive enough. It, not that you have to be like press man and, and just like put them out on island and say, you know, good luck. But and, – and maybe they were saying, you know, keep them in front, make them go down the field the entire way, which, I mean, against a team like Lamar, which is as bad offensively as, you know, SMU's going to face all year, that, that might not be a bad game plan. But when you're missing tackles, when you're – in space and not making plays, you got to find a way to put these guys a little bit better spot to make tackles. I, I and and I think a lot of it was on the players. Quite honestly, you know, I mean, there was one play Brandon Crosley tried to kind of blow it up, missed tackle. Shannon Reed took a bad angle, and boom, off to the races for a big first down and and gain. Um, that one just kind of stood out to me. But you look at what they've got, what they had out there. There was just so many times where you know wide open Lamar receivers drop balls or. Uh, they had cushion on a, on a deep out, and I, I mean, in today's college football offense, it is more of bend but not break style. I mean, I talked about you know how Kevin Kane ran his defense at SMU, and you know I think if he had some of the players they had this year, you know maybe that's a better looking defense. And when they needed stops, they tended to get them. Um, you know, the TCU game is a key one that that everyone will remember with some of those blitzes that he he had out there. But and Scott Simon's at least going into the Lamar game. Hadn't really brought a lot, and I didn't see much against Lamar, you know, just watching it. I just did not see much pressure being brought, and I I do think, you know, as we look ahead to Maryland and and TCU, I think he's going to bring a more exotic package. That doesn't excuse, you know, the the long 75-yard, over-eight-minute touchdown drive that Lamar had, or some of the missed tackles and some of the bad angles and all of those things, but... You know, and and you know, fourth and one and third and one when when they they were able to pick it up, um, two fourth and ones I believe that they picked up one for a score, uh, I think uh, if I have my plays right. But I know they went two of five on fourth down. But here's the stat that you gotta love if you're an SME fan: three of seventeen on third down for Lamar. I, that's that's pitiful. Um, that that's pretty pretty good if you're an SMU defense. It's pretty good against just about anyone. It just seemed worse. And by the time SMU built its lead, pretty much entering the fourth quarter, they took out the the starters, backups were in, and then so from there it's just your, I mean you're you're counting stats, but I I, I barely even pay attention. I kind of watch players that flash and things like that. You know they put Isaiah Smith in there, uh, Cameron Farrar made a good hit. Um, the uh, the they played AJ Davis, the freshman, a ton last night, or I mean not last night, Saturday night, I think in part holding Katie Hall out, making sure he got healthy. Brian Massey was dressed but didn't play. This week against Maryland on the road, they're going to have, I think, I'm pretty sure, those types of players available to them. They got them the rest. They can rehab a little bit more this week and be ready to go. When this defense gets Brian Massey back, 
It's a big difference maker. I mean, Nick Roberts is already out of interception against North Texas, but, you know, and Isaiah Wachobia has played well. He had that late hit. I think it was Isaiah, so sorry if it wasn't Isaiah, but um, late hit out of bounds that that really helped the Lamar drive get, you know, even even further um, down the field. And I think that was the drive that they kicked a field goal to end the half. But, look, it, it's the angles, the tackling, that was concerning to me. Um, I'm interested to see now that these truly what I think are going to be difficult non-conference games come, this is where we will find out what Scott, Scott Simons is going to deploy defensively, how he's going to disrupt Tua Tunga-Vailoa, or excuse me, <laughs> been in the SEC too long, Talia Tunga-Vailoa, uh, and, and get him off his game. Um, that's going to be the question for me um, in, in go, going against Maryland and then, and then against TCU. So still some questions to, to answer. I, I, I think, you know, looking at what the Lamar game was, I think SMU came out so ready to play against UNT. Um, and maybe this is a growing, it's a growing process. You know, I think with how good they were against UNT, that massive spread came out and everyone was like, all right, jump on the bandwagon. It is go time. And maybe this kind of brought them down to earth a little bit more. They got a lot of coaching points. They got a lot of teaching points. They got a lot of things that they can improve on going into Maryland TCU. Do I think SMU is a finished product? No, not yet. Do I think they have the capability of beating Maryland and TCU even after watching them against Lamar? Absolutely. And that's the thing that is, I think, encouraging about this team. They have so much talent. They really do. Putting it together consistently is the key, and that's the key whether it's, you know, now in September against non-conference or in November looking to try and, you know, stake their claim to an AAC title game appearance if they have the chance to. That's what it's always come down to, honestly, the last two years and now this one for SMU. They've had the talent. Can they consistently put it together? I'm very interested to see, again, what Scott Simons puts together defensively, the game plan for Maryland. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we talk with um, Scott Simons, Casey Woods, Rhett Lashley, and players, and preview that later this week. But, you know, definitely one of those uh, things where I, I think that you look at the Lamar game and you just think, okay, they got brought, brought back down to earth. Lamar gave them their best punch. They were off. Um, and... and you know, now it's a matter of how do you respond. So I think there are a lot of encouraging things. I think the secondary still has some things to clean up. I think linebacker has some things to clean up. I like the depth. I like Jimmy Phillips, Isaac Slade, Matutia have done well as the starters. Shannon Reed, uh, he grabbed an interception. Um, I think it was an interception. It might have been fumble, but I'm pretty sure it was an interception um, right down the middle. And then they haven't played Jaquandis Burns as much. And then Kiki Burns did get hurt, um, I believe it was Kiki, right at the end of the game. We were down on the field already, so it was tough to see, but it sure looked like him. That linebacker group has to be better overall consistently. Um, I think the defensive line hasn't gotten pressure. But, again, how how does that actually look? Um, because, you know, Scott Simons told us after UNT, I wasn't expecting to really get home to the quarterback that much. You know, we were playing a four-man front. They had guys in for protection. We were dropping into coverage, forcing, you know, um, UNT to, to beat them through the air um, a little bit or, or, or kind of daring them to, to run the ball a little bit more. So it, it, it's one of those things that we'll, we'll find out a lot more this week. I, I really do think that. So 
Um, a few players that have really stood out. I mean, Rasheed Rice, I think everybody has to appreciate what, S- what, what SMU has in Rasheed. I mean, he is just a stud. Um, really, really good good prospect uh, for the NFL draft. He's starting to move up, I think, squarely into day two range. Um, and who knows, maybe he's a dark horse, ends up being a day one. But squarely in the day, day two range right now with, with a few big games to come in terms of cementing that stock at a high level. Um, I, I think Tanner's played pretty well, you know, Lamar game aside. I, I, I mean, I know it's, you know, that's one of two games, but I think he has for the most part put this offense in position to succeed. He's working through some things with some receivers. I noticed some timing things that they got to clean up too, but I think he's been, you know, as advertised as far as, far as you know, his performance in fall camp and, and you guys got a little bit of a taste as far as, you know, why he, I, I think was named a starter. Um, you know, I, I think, um, Branson Hickman deserves a, a good bit of praise. I haven't really seen too much, you know, bad snaps. Uh, I think he's been good. Um, I think he's been a bright spot on the offensive line. I think Marcus Bryan has been too. I, I haven't really noticed too much as far as, you know, pressure off the backside and things like that. Uh, Elijah Chapman's played really well. Um, you know, he's one that, that is really impressed. Jimmy Phillips had a, had a really good opening game against UNT and, and, and still played well against Lamar. Um, and then uh, Ahmad Moses, I think, is a guy that, you know, I know he's probably going to get back to buried a little bit when Brian Massey comes back. But, I mean, he made some plays at the end um, a little bit that, that really impressed me. I think he's got a bright future. Nick Roberts has been a bright spot. Colin Rogers has been a bright spot, the, kick, the kicker for SMU, true freshman out of Alabama. Um, I, I think we'll, you know, I said this a million times on this podcast, I feel like, but you know, now we get to find out what SMU is about. We'll find that out this weekend against Maryland uh, on Saturday night on FS1. So be sure to tune in for that one. Um, and then, of course, we'll get to TCU Hype, hype Week. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, kind of going on to uh, SMU's recruiting class, uh, I do encourage you guys to check out um, you know, the visitor list, the, the, pre- the players who were on campus uh, for the game. They had a big group of prospects in the process of catching up with a good bit of them. Um, but I, I think with, you know, Bama, Texas, with, uh, a, you know, a lot of these um, programs around the state having chances to host guys, SMU brought a good number of its commits and a good number of their targets back on campus. So kudos to the staff. Again, we'll have some recruiting tidbit, tidbits that by the time this podcast is posted, I think will be online. If not, it'll be uh, uh, Tuesday morning. But uh, we'll have a lot of good stuff to share, especially in the 2024 class. Some of those top targets are starting to emerge. Uh, one note, SMU did offer 2024 Katie Paytow. Defensive end, um, Logan Thomas, really talented prospect. On three, has him as a top 100 prospe- prospect in the class of 2024. The number 71 overall and number seven edge prospect nationally. Uh, he's got... You know, SMU, Texas Tech, Arizona, Colorado, um, and Ohio State is monitoring him, but it looks like he's about to explode. So SMU got in on him. They love him. They had him on campus, and we'll have uh, a good bit of reaction from him as well just in the process of catching up with him now. So be sure to check us out at ontheponyexpress.com. Tons of recruiting stuff to come now that season's here as well. Uh, Visitor lists. I've been going out to games, um, dropping evaluation notes on prospects, and catching up with them too. So great time to jump on board on theponyexpress.com. 
do so before those free founder founders club hats run out. So appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. I know it, um, a little long-winded at times, but uh, kind of a brain dump of everything I've seen from the last two weeks of SB football. Um, and of course, um, thoughts and prayers and, and uh, good vibes, you know, out to, to Paul Lane's family. And, um, you know, appreciate everything he did for the SMU football program and community. Um, you know, SMU lost a great one and, and um, you know, he'll be missed. So with that, guys, we'll be back later this week to uh, preview SMU Maryland and catch you up on anything else that pops up. So thanks for listening to this edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. We'll catch you guys later this week.